Welcome to the One Foot Down Podcast on the SB Nation Podcast Network. I am your host, Joshua Voles, Site Manager, Emperor, Supreme Warlord, and Defender of the Faith. And I am here with two editors from One Foot Down, Jude Seymour and Brad Wechter. Guys, how are you doing tonight? We're doing all right. Oh, great. Great. Is everybody celebrating uh, President's Day appropriately? Yes, I went to work. It was quite a celebration. I did. <laughs> I drove home from seeing some good friends in Massachusetts and New Hampshire. I can I can report back that it is snowing everywhere. Now, did your kids have school today, Jude? Do not. They're on they're on uh, midwinter break. Aha. Okay. Okay. Hicksville doesn't have these midwinter breaks. So, I, I, what's funny is that when I looked, I was checking about a certain. They said some banks were open, so I was just checking checking my bank to make sure. And the article that popped up on Google was from um, from Syracuse, around your neck of the woods. And yeah. I had saw that about the midwinter break, so I had wondered if you were stuck home with the kids today. We are in North Carolina. Today they went to the beach and got sunburns. They're pretty happy right now. <laughs> Is it pretty nice down there right now? Uh, 71 degrees in Wilmington, as per my report from my wife. Not too shabby. <laughs> I got ice on my driveway, so I'm happy. <laughs> but yeah, I won't say I speak for the rest of mankind there when I say I like the cold and the ice. So, all right. So, yeah, it's a good President's Day. Everyone's kind of celebrating a non-existent holiday except for bankers. Who My, my sister's actually an assistant. Uh, I guess she's the branch manager for a bank. So she's the one I always razz at every family gathering. She never seems to work on any day. So let's, you know, let's get right into it. Uh, put some stuff up on the site today. Celebrating presidents. Uh, Rushmore. And I seem to be catching uh, quite a bit of grief over certain choices um, <laughs> for my Rushmore mountain. And I, I guess I'm just curious about everybody else's. I mean, a top four is subjective, and it's a subjective top four. I mean, what your basis for for what it is can can be totally different from what somebody else has on there. Um, Brad, let's start with you. Uh, what, what, what's your, what's your Rushmore? Right. So my uh, Notre Dame Mount Rushmore, I, I went a little off the rails with this one. Um, it's basketball oriented, but it's also only limited to Notre Dame basketball players that I personally saw play. Which is a great other... thing, which is a great parameter to have. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, let's see what I came up with uh, on top of other things. So, my Mount Rushmore for Notre Dame basketball, it's, it's a bit of a, uh, how would you say this? It's an optical illusion. So from far away, it just looks like four Jack Cooleys making different faces. <laughs> but then the closer you get, you realize it's actually Luke Herringody. So it's four Luke Herringodys. But then if you look at the third Luke Herringody's nose, it's actually Troy Murphy. Oh, you're just bringing it all around. Yeah. But on a more serious note, but on a more serious note, uh, I actually did think of a top four basketball players that I've ever watched play Notre Dame basketball. And in terms of my favorites, what I came up with was Matt Carroll, Ben Hansbrough, Bonzi Colson, and Pat Connaughton. That's my Notre Dame basketball in my lifetime, Mount Rushmore. 
You threw Hansborough in there, huh? That's was, an interesting. He was fun to watch. Oh, definitely for sure. I get that's just the name. You know, when, when we talk about just this recent history of uh, the recent history of Notre Dame basketball, um, it's just not a name that comes out of the conversation uh, on, off the lips of people that often. So I'm impressed. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I like the way he played. I think uh, he was one of those guys that Mike Bray really leaned on. He was a transfer in. He was a you know fifth year senior or whatever. And, uh, you know, Bray did the thing where he plays them a ton of minutes towards the end of the year and wears them out a little bit before the tournament. And I just really appreciated the way that he carried that, what was it, 2011 team to some really great moments late in the Big East season and then in the uh, Big East tournament. I, I really enjoyed watching that. I really enjoyed his game. I thought he was gutsy. I thought he made some big shots and he even had a dunk at Marquette once. And I really appreciated that. Yeah, that's a, you know, that's a hard rush board to, to get grasp because – I, I really feel that throughout the – there's just a couple players, you know, with each kind of small cycle that you fall in love with. And, you know, like Grant and Connaughton, like but I think of Grant and Connaughton as like the pair. You know, sure. it's like you got to serve them up as the pair, not to say that they needed each other to be, to be great because they're, they're both, you know, great basketball players. But just in my own like weird world that no one else gets, like when I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking about those two you know, almost isolated, you know, like, like they're together. <laughs> they're, t- they're taking up one spot of that, of that rush board. Just kind of like, you know, Pat's holding Jerry and like, like he's going across the, uh, the door after a wedding, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so no, I like that. I like, I like, I like the hands rolls toss in there. That's, that, that's excellent. That's where I went with it. Excellent. Jude, what do you, what do you got for me today? Uh, I got, for my own and uh, I'm start I think it's my my list uh, again I I kept the parameters the same as as you guys uh, people that I watched in my lifetime um I think my list starts and ends with uh with Rocket Ishmael I don't think that I am a Notre Dame fan or an avid Notre Dame watcher as a as a young child uh without Rocket Ishmael on the field he uh he just every time he was out there, you never knew what was going to happen, and uh, I absolutely adored watching him play. So I think he's uh, occupies the first slot for me. Uh, the second slot is uh, Joey Gatherall. A uh, little bit of about me: uh, I'm a, roughly the same height and same weight as Joey <laughs> Gatherall during his playing days. Uh, I cannot run as fast as Joey Gatherall, and I'll never forget how loud the stadium was. When Joey returned, I believe it was a kick for uh, it might have been a punt against Nebraska um, against Nebraska in two thousand. The uh, the place just exploded. So now you you were a student in two thousand, right? I was, I was. So okay. um, Joey, uh, I always have a special place in my heart for Joey. He's a he's a uh, police officer in Los Angeles now. The last I had heard, so good for him. So he uh, occupies the second spot. Uh, the third spot is also not another unconventional pick, uh, Brandon Hoyt. Uh, Brandon was a linebacker who actually lived across the hall That's a great pick. in uh, Dillon Hall. And uh, I named him my favorite player of the uh, Tyrone Willingham era. He actually ended his career in the Charlie Weiss era, but um, he ended up playing in uh, all 48 games during his four-year career. Uh, he had almost 300 tackles. Almost 200 of those were solo. Uh, you know, three dozen tackles for a loss, a dozen sacks, fumble recovery. And he hit like a back truck. I mean, he was compact and and delivered a punch. 
Absolutely. And and he was a good guy too. Uh and the little that I got to know him. Uh, Poetry was his thing, wasn't it? It was, yes. And uh my favorite Brandon Hoyt thing is that uh after he graduated, he actually played for the team that that went over to Japan, the Notre Dame team that was the uh, it was sort of the North Avenue Irregulars, and he actually played fullback on that squad. So he rushed for about 45 yards in the Japan Bowl in 2009, the one that was coached by uh, <laughs> by Coach Holtz. So he's my third guy. And, uh, <laughs> and the one that will certainly endear me to the comment section of, of our blog today, uh, Brady Quinn. Uh, you know, Brady was <laughs> uh, an amazing quarterback, and that takes absolutely nothing away from from Jimmy Clausen. Um, and, and, and honestly, you know, I love Tommy Reese. I'm like, the, I'm the internet's foremost Tommy Reese apologist. So I, I honestly considered him for my fourth spot, but, um, you know, Brady, uh, you didn't want the hate mail. He was, you can't, you can't, you can't live my life. You can't walk in my shoes. I had a heat on you. Um, I mean, Brady owns, uh, you know, three dozen, uh, Notre Dame, uh, university records for, you know, season totals, career totals, um, you know, individual accomplishments, team accomplishments. Um, I, I love Brady Quinn. He's the reason that uh, I got back into watching NFL football and rooting for guys uh, who went from Notre Dame to to the pros. Obviously, it didn't work out uh, the way that I think me and probably everybody else that was rooting for Brady Quinn uh, hoped it would. Um, but I've continued to enjoy his um, his second career here as um, as an on uh, in game commentator for. Uh, for Fox. So I'm a big Brady Quinn fan. I hope someday that NBC comes to its senses and, and picks him as the color commentator for, for Notre Dame games. Cause I think that would be a, a net positive. I, I gotta be honest, anything that gets Doug Flutie off the air would be a, a tremendous step in the right direction. So um, I, I don't, I, I liked Mike Mayock. I, I couldn't, I could live with Pat Hayden, uh, but Doug Flutie is just beyond the pale for me. So, uh, so again, my four, a uh, rocket Ishmael, Joey Gatherall, Brandon Hoyt and, and Brady Quinn. Well, good choices. And look, if you guys haven't been on the site and and saw, there is a Clawson-Quinn debate going on, and, and I'll get into that in a few minutes. But really, yeah, they need to get, get – NBC needs to get their act together and get Quinn signed up, like, right now. And I think that – I think when, didn't Quinn make some comments that like he thought maybe – or didn't he say, like, they, they hadn't called me yet or something to that effect um, their last go-around? I think he's been completely honest about the fact that he thinks it's 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 needed in the booth, and that he doesn't understand why uh, NBC isn't reaching out, if not to him, then to somebody else who can, you know, who could do the job that would have a Notre Dame affiliation, or at least be, uh, you know, it's not about the fact that Doug Flutie went to BC because Mike Mayock went to BC. It's just about the fact that Doug Flutie sucks. Um, yeah, I, I well, Flutie's horrible. Yeah, he uh, he really can't diagnose anything, and. And he has some terrible, he has some terrible stories. They all seem to be about him. Um, you know, they don't seem to be at all uh, appropriate to what, what's going on and during the game. And it's just, it's awkward as hell. And I can't wait. How for many more times can we watch that stupid freaking hell Mary? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, how many times can we watch and hear about that? It, it, it's like almost like one it's in his contract must be mentioned one time per game. It's like, no, it does not need to be. I'm over, yeah, I mean, over this. Look, Mike Tirico, I think 
if it's not every game is almost every game introduces him as Heisman Trophy winner Doug Flutie. Like no one's forgotten that Doug Flutie won the Heisman. You know, I think I think we can maybe do that one time a year. Um, but you know, that's a that's a that's a very small nit about Mike Trico, who I absolutely I absolutely love, and I think he's been a great addiction. All right. Well, hey, I'm a look. So getting to my Rushmore here. And and I just on the site I have a picture and it's got it's got Rockney, it's got Leahy, and it's got Era. But as my fourth up there, I had Moose Krause. And I kind of caught a little bit of that. And I'm like, seriously, like someone's gonna like shoot me down for for having Moose Krause. The guy's name is literally Mr. Notre Dame. You know, he was the AD at Notre Dame from like 1949 to what, 1981 or something like that? The man is a legend on campus. He has a statue. He's a, just an athletic legend in itself, not just football, but also basketball. And I just, you know, I don't ever want, and you know, this was not within my parameters of obviously of seeing them play or, or been, around, been around, you know. But I guess I just love the idea of, of people like, Moose Krause, like the guy that's been on campus forever, you know, whether you agree with them or not, like, like a John Heisler, you know, the storytellers, the, the people that, that tie in era after era after era, and you have that, you know, continuity with something. And it was Moose for all those years. So why did I have him on that? When people are, you know, the obvious thing would be Holtz up there, right? But no, I no disrespect to Lou, but but I just felt that that Moose needs that. I don't say needs, but I, I would I want to make sure that that's put out there. You, you should see my hands right now. I'm I'm straight Italian. This room is going to just be a blast with a hand. But <laughs> I'm tossing around. But he need I want that that celebration for him. So that's why that picture was like that. And it's actually an old picture I used on. When I used to run Subway Domer from like nine years ago. Um, it's I still feel that way. This is how I felt way back then. This is how I feel now. Uh, but it's my personal top four Brushmore. I just I just want some flat out favorites. Um, and uh, surprised that Jimmy Clausen wasn't on there. But my you know my favorite player pretty much of all time is Jeff Burris. Safety for Notre Dame was a great two way player uh, when they came in a goal line. Holtz went to the T, you know, and, you know, but if you, if, or Burris, if you did, didn't watch the, the Florida State game, maybe you have no idea, but everybody should know what, uh, how Burris played. He was a great safety, uh, scored a lot of touchdowns at running back. Ricky Waters, a lot of people that went to school with Waters at Notre Dame have a lot of stories about Ricky Waters. Um, he's, and a, a lot of people don't like, Ricky, you know, I, I'm always shocked—not shocked, but saddened—that Notre Dame fans would say anything derogatory about Ricky, and some do. You know, they have that you know, that mentality that Ricky was a you know an eye guy, this and that, and and some of it's true. I mean, Rick, I mean, Ricky was playing ball for himself, but he helped the team. And I, I mean, I just I've always had a huge infatuation with. With Waters, he was such an athlete. And I would like, I would take twelve Ricky Waters or eleven Ricky Waters every single day. Just give me that athlete. Um, and then the third one was Justin Tuck. 
I remember clear as day the first time I watched him play on the field. I was in the stadium, was with my brother-in-law. And at that time, he actually knew more about the team than I did. So this is a long time ago. Um, I'm like, who in the hell is that? He's like, oh, dude, that's Tuck. And I'm like, God, his neck is like, you know, four feet tall. And I it was kind of, you know, goofing around about just kind of way he looked out there in pads. And he's just out there destroying people. And a guy that I, you know, a career cut short at Notre Dame, you know, leaving uh leaving with a year of eligibility behind him and then my fourth spot is actually in it's a new addition it, it would have gone to jeff fane normally and i love jeff fane i love the way he played he was one of the meanest offensive linemen that ever walked on that campus i mean just guy was just flat mean and i remember when uh uh when notre dame beat michigan and i can't remember which year it was exactly um but went on the field right at, right after that and for some reason, like I'm on the field and there's as a fan and there's Jeff Fain like two feet from me. And he just picks me up and squeezes me like I'm a rag doll. And I, <laughs> I'm like, oh, God, I just watched this guy kill people. And uh, he, he's sitting here hugging me. So I, I've, but I've always loved Jeff Fain. But he has been replaced. I hope Fain doesn't find me and beat me up. But Quentin Nelson, I don't know how moving forward we can we can talk about Notre Dame greats and not talk about Quentin Nelson and what he meant to, I mean, we were watching offensive guard highlight. I mean, absolute highlights of a guard blocking for an entire year and just drooling over it. And so that would be in my, definitely in my top four. Cause he's just, he's a beast. He's, a, you know, like Hanson said, a garage door with arms. He's just amazing. He's continuing that into the NFL like the legend of Quentin Nelson is growing, and I just think that's awesome. We're just in the beginning of it, really, uh, when we get to see that grow. And so that's you know that would be my my personal top four Mount Rushmore. Um, and uh, so yeah, so anybody got any beef with that? I, I would be happy to consider Quentin Nelson in my top four. I really enjoyed watching him play. Um, unfortunately, I'm gonna if I advocate for him, he'll never see it because he blocked me on Twitter. Womp womp. You say he blocked you on Twitter? So I'm I'm I think I remember I'm part of I'm part of a weird group of people he's blocked on Twitter and uh I I want to say I did nothing to deserve it, but uh I don't I don't want to sound like a whiner. Uh I will say if anyone knows Quentin Nelson, I would love to be unblocked on Twitter because it's really freaking annoying to have to log out of my own profile just to see what Quentin Nelson wrote. So you don't have a jailbreak you don't have like a, a account? Uh, I do just not, it's just, it would be a lot easier if you would just be unblocking. <laughs> so if, uh, if Quentin Nelson can find uh, five seconds in his day to call up my profile and hit the unblock button, I would be forever grateful. That was my, that was my, that was my Christmas uh, wish for last year and it did not come true. Jude may or may not have a burner profile. He's not going to tell you about it. <laughs> well, my own, my own personal accounts, my burner profile. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, considering it's it's President's Day, we're going to uh, we're, we're going to tighten this up and and you know you know that the thing hashtag my president. You know, people look at it like Muffin McGraw hashtag my president. Who is your hashtag my president, Brad? Who who if you had to name one person, Notre Dame athletics today, and I'm talking about so current, so someone who's on campus right now. Uh, someone who 
is in the athletic department and one in you know, one shape or the other. Who is your president? Who's your who's your person? Shoot, I went off I went off campus for my initial answer. Well, you want me to change the parameters? Well, I'll change my <laughs> own parameters. Thank you. Um, so I went back to the basketball side of things. And I went with people who have done things that I've witnessed within my life, but not necessarily played. So I think if you're bringing back somebody to be the president, my president for Notre Dame athletics, you go right to Austin Carr, Mr. Basketball himself. Because in my life, I grew up a Cleveland Cavaliers basketball fan, and AC was the color commentary for both of the LeBron eras during the Cavs' runs to the finals. And my God, it's just, he's both illegible at times, but also brilliant at times. And it's so entertaining. I mean, the man has some of, like, in my opinion, the greatest, some of the greatest taglines as a Cleveland person. Like, he shuffled his shoes from deep in the queue. And he also has, you know, held some of, some NCAA records, some Notre Dame records in terms of basketball. He played, I, I just, that's, that's my Notre Dame basketball president. And I'm sorry to go off the parameters. If I had to go back to the parameters, I guess I, oh, geez, I just, I default to Mike Bray. I think the guy's got it together. I think, uh, I think he could run the program. I think uh, he would be my president. But I think if you can, I think you bring in Austin Carr. Bray, both both of those are inspired picks. I, I like both of those. Um, I, I think if I were going my president, uh, I would pick Matt Bayless. Uh, I believe he's the strength and conditioning coach or performance. I don't I don't remember what funny name that they give it. Performance enhancement coach or whatever. Now that makes it sound like he gives drugs to the players. That's that's only a Clemson. Um, <laughs> Matt Bayless. He's the pet coach. Absolutely missed his calling as a. Uh, ringside announcer for WWE. I mean, I want that guy to be, uh, you know, oh, uh, something to the extent of, uh, like, you know, he he took him right through the table, you know, something insane. Um, he's got a great gravelly voice. I think with his intense stare and his voice, if he asked me to do anything, I would be like, sir, yes, sir even if I wasn't able to do it and I would just go for it with uh, full gusto for, uh, for fear of antagonizing him. So I, that he's, he's absolutely my pick. Um, he is, uh, he's insane. And I love watching the, the Valentine's day lifts that he comes up with. Uh, so Matt Bayless is my president. That's a good one. I mean, that as a guy with a very raspy, and hoarse voice, I can respect a Matt Bayless pick as my president. <laughs> you know, I could, I could, uh, you could just close your eyes and that, uh, can definitely feel him yelling yeah. that out. Can you give us your best, like, oh, the humanity, or uh, maybe just, you know, uh, I, I don't know, like he put him through the table, you know, something that sounds like the guy will actually never survive what just happened. Oh my God, that's Chase Claypool music. <laughs> the maple bandit coming down to the ring uh, see my, my voice my voice when i yell smooths out yeah so if it you does want to know, you ever want to know why i yell so much because i actually sound like a human being and not <laughs> someone who was run through a a fucking smoke machine you know from <laughs> what i yell when i yell though it's like it's like you ever wonder why 
like like Ozzy Osbourne, the way he talks, the way he talks compared to the way he sings. So when I yell, I sound clear. So I'm not yelling at you because I hate you. I'm yelling at you so you can understand. Because other than that, I'm. So yeah. Do you think I should? I mean, maybe I should apply to the WWE. Be like, look, man, I could be a ring announcer. Let's do this. Just give me, give me, just give me my shot. I, I mean, I think Bayless is. I, I can you do the intense stare? Probably you could probably you could probably make somebody intimidated, right? Just by looking at them. Oh, you could ask my coworkers, and they will say <laughs> absolutely. I have a very blue collar, uh, day slash night job, and it. Uh, I I do have a little bit of a reputation for being intense. I don't like being there. I don't like things not working out. And uh, yeah, things usually run pretty smooth <laughs> when I'm there because I don't like things. So I could, I could, I could pull out the uh, the stare pretty well, I suppose. That's so it. I, I have to think of like an alter ego name. For, I don't know of all the things of all the names I give other people. Myself, my own alter ego name. I'll have to think about that one now. So Brad went with uh, Austin Carr and or Mike Bray. I pick Matt Bayless. I think it's up to you to to close us out here. Yeah, well, I'll I'll go the Brad route here, and um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do former player, and uh, and then current person on campus. Um, hashtag my president Jimmy Clausen. I mean, the amount of hate today spun my way. Because in my four-pack of my Rushmore of quarterbacks of Jimmy Clausen, Rick Meyer, Jarius Jackson, and Tony Rice, so much shit has got thrown my way because supposedly Clausen stole Quinn's spot there, which I find amazing that, that it wouldn't be like Jarius Jackson versus Quinn, that it was single-handedly it's Clausen versus Quinn in this scenario. I, I find that that to be awesome because I'm a huge Jarius Jackson fan and that maybe people are giving him more credit than I'm giving them credit for giving him. And, but also at the same time, it's like typical. Uh, Clawson was one of the all time greats at Notre Dame. I don't care what the records were. He was quite simply the most accurate and best passing quarterback Notre Dame has ever had. Period. Period. He had nothing around him. And, you know, you could say, well, you had, you know, Michael Floyd and, and Kyle Rudolph and, and Golden Tate. Okay, well, that's it. If you want to compare Quinn to Clausen, you know, Quinn had a multitude of guys as well. Stovall, McKnight's, Marja, you know, Fasano. But Quinn also had an offensive line that gave him more than the damn ball. He also had a running game that got more than 40 yards a game. You know, he had. This is a somewhat of a joke. He had a better defense. I won't say a good defense. He had a better defense than Clawson ever saw. And Quinn had a longer career. He stayed for four years. Clawson left for three. But Jimmy Clawson is undefeated in bowl games where Brady Quinn is. So, but I, I just think Clawson has always gotten just the worst rap uh, imaginable. People like to project uh, certain things certain feelings about how they think football should be and how they should look, act. You know, Clawson's getting he, – he's not as good-looking as Brady, so he's going to catch some shit. You know, he announced – his family had some money, so he's going to catch some shit. He had to drive around in a Hummer, you know. He had like 20 people with him that day. 
I mean, and he, he caught three years and actually beyond of grief because of one day as a kid, you know, doing your announcement. I mean, are we really going to hold everybody accountable for a decade for how they announced where they were going to school? I mean, seriously. If, so we need to start a file right now on the, you know, the way things have gone down over the last 15, 20 years. So and I, I just think, I think Clawson was a great quarterback who was never going to get the credit deserved from the fan base because of the likability issue. And one time I I was told this, Brad, one time I had made a sarcastic remark about Clawson. Someone said something about teammate. I made a sarcastic remark about him being, you know, a bad teammate um, at Notre Dame and on Twitter. And I was immediately jumped by Michael Floyd, like instantly like bum rushed me about how good of a guy and teammate Clawson was. And I'm like, dude, it's sarcasm. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm with you on this and you know you can say what you will i'm not bashing quinn I, look i love brady quinn you know the 2005 season was absolutely awesome to witness just coming from the depths we were it was such a whirlwind of of cool shit going on that year um but you know he's not for me i you know you give me sit down and say hey pick out your you're all time. You're picking on a team to play with right now, with Notre Dame players. Klaus is my number one pick, and he's my quarterback. So that, I, I, that's where I go with that. Again, you know, Quinn's on my personal Rushmore, so this isn't a Quinn versus Clawson thing. I guess what I would say is, Clawson had some had two very strange things happen to him during his Notre Dame career, and the and the, the bookends of his career, right? So everybody remembers the announcement. And then the last thing that people might remember is getting punched outside of CJ's right before the last game. Mm-hmm. So yeah. <laughs> um, the black the black eye versus Stanford, the black eye versus Stanford. But I encourage people that don't like Jimmy Clausen to go back and watch the Michigan State game from two thousand nine when he could he, barely walk. Absolutely, and he's literally um, toughening it out on one good foot to will his team. Uh, toward victory, uh, I I think that was I think if you watch it today and I and I watched it probably six months ago, um, it, it shows a tremendous effort on behalf of a of a team where he wasn't going to uh, come out of the game uh, unless he absolutely had to to get taped or whatever, um, so that he could help his team in in a spot when they when they definitely needed him and they were you know they were not prepared to put in. Um, uh, Dane Christ or or Evan Sharpley, um, and so it he knew that it was riding on him, and he and he toughed it out even though, and he played with that injury for quite a while for a couple of weeks. So, um, go yeah, back. I tell you, it was I, I thought it was most of the season, and you know that's something I I didn't mention and, and like smacking myself for for not saying was you know the toughness that that Clawson had. We t- I said he didn't have an offensive line. Dude, the kid took a fucking beating constantly. Every week he was getting rocked. And he never complained. Look, people call him a prima donna. Like, when was he a prima donna? Like, what, the one time he announced where he was going to college, you want to nail that? Okay. But he never placed any blame anywhere. He took his beatings. He, I mean, he was constantly all talking about the team, team efforts, never said anything about himself. I mean, I don't know what more he could have done. You know, he can't, he couldn't grow, you know, he couldn't grow a couple more inches 
and gain, you know, 30 pounds to play linebacker. You know what I mean? It, the kid put it all out in the field. Yeah, yeah, never, yeah. never mind the fact that it was other people who were hyping up his high school career as being like the best ever. Like what do oh, you absolutely. actually expect out of an 18 year old kid? Yeah. And for two years, you heard that before he arrived yeah. at you know, Notre Dame. And you and, never heard it from him aside from the announcement. Yeah. And I mean, even that, I, I, I this is just a, a no big deal, but people want to make it a big deal. Okay. You can make it a big deal, but this kid was tough. This was a football player out there and he was accurate. It, and Jude, you mentioned that. Was that the catch? The Michigan State game, was that, was that the state band catch? That's a great question. Was that this? That's it. Must have been right because yeah, I'm pretty sure. Like if you go out on YouTube, somebody's put that to the theme of Titanic somewhere. So if you love Golden Tate for, you know, for doing that to Michigan State's band, you know, for teabagging the tuba players, then you need to give some love to the guy who got on the ball, dropping it in a bucket. I mean, you. You can't have this without having that. And is know? that the week after the game-winning drive where he could barely walk against Purdue, where he found uh, Rudolph in the end zone to win the game? The, that was like the initial injury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a That's it was turf, it was turf toe, which always sounds like a weenie injury. But you talk to anybody that's ever had turf toe, say that, and they'll rip your damn head off. Because this is one it's one of the most painful things. You, you could have out there playing and you, you just feel like your, you know, your foot's going to get ripped off your body with every movement. And, and that's an injury that lingers too. That even after that Michigan, I mean, that was most of the season he was dealing with a foot injury. So, I mean, hashtag my president, Jimmy Clausen for show, for show. Yeah. You know, imagine what that first year with Brian Kelly would have been, been like, I and mean, we all have, if Clawson and Tate would have returned, you know, for that first year with Brian Kelly, you know, you go back and look at that schedule and the way it, and the way it, everything happened, it's it's really actually hard to find losses in that eight and five year if you throw a, throw Clawson and throw Tate onto that team. It's it's ridiculous. Just yeah. I, I don't I don't want Clawson to come back because I, I enjoyed the Nate Montana era at, at uh, Notre Dame so much. <laughs> and you would have you would have threatened that for sure. <laughs> I mean, where Notre Dame has come from from 2000 to 2019 is to me it just still feels like it's it's a my, it, light years, you know. But uh, people think we're still stuck in the muck. But I just feel it. I, I just you pull, you pull out that name and it's just like yeah, there's your gap. Here, here's your here's my favorite, right? I, I can't decide. Uh, Nate Montana coming in before Tommy Reese in the Michigan game, or uh, Tommy Reese uh, throwing a a pick off a flea flicker on his first career attempt, which I think defined the Tommy the Tommy no uh, thing that kind of stuck with him, or uh, when Tommy takes over in the Tulsa game when Dane goes down. At that point, um, Nate Montana has about three times more snaps than Tommy Reese does. But I think that told you everything about how Nate Montana was not uh, progressing during practice weeks, and and Tommy Reese was ascending as much as, as possible for Tommy Reese. So, uh, 2010 was a very weird year. A very weird year. Very weird. You know, and I was it was I was there with the um, 
uh, for the Utah game, which I think was senior day. And, you know, they were in desperate need of the, of a win, uh, you know, against Utah. And it was a good Utah team. Wasn't a great, what is one of the, the better Utah teams? It was a good Utah team ranked. They were ranked. They, yeah, they were ranked. And I, it, I think, I think the students rushed the field after that game, which just seemed just kind of surreal when you think about it. Like that's how that season went. And there was a lot of, I mean, we won't get into it, but there, you know, a lot of stuff went on that season. Um, so maybe it was, it was more justified, you know, in hindsight than it was. Um, I was completely rocked that game. I, I think that was the last game I went to with my dad, maybe. Uh, <laughs> and I could barely get on. I remember get on the bus from Whitefield, but uh, anyways, but I do remember that. I, I do remember um, uh, the students rushing the field afterwards and I kind of had a head cocked. What the, what's going on here? So, all right. And then just, I guess uh, I said I'd give another one. So I'll give another quick one and hashtag my president, Brian Kelly. I mean, you're oh. talking about, I mean, I'll take the hate mail now. Subwaydomer26 at gmail.com. I don't, I get, I guess I'm just, we're in such a weird era right now in Notre Dame football. Because if you look back throughout all of Notre Dame history, you have your coat, you have your championship coaches, Holtz, Era, Divine, Rockney, Leahy, and then everybody else. And everybody else almost fits the same mold of failure. You know, in one shape or the, you know, everyone kind of is the same way. There's one outlier, and that's Brian Kelly. And two, you know, one national championship game, one playoff appearance. And I think what the former hosts of this podcast said about Kelly is absolutely true. You know, he doesn't get a statue today, but he absolutely needs a small, tasteful exhibit in the Joyce. I mean, he, there needs to be some kind of celebration and, and thankfulness for Brian Kelly and what Notre Dame has done during his tenure here. But, it, you know, it's not deserving a, a statue, obviously. But he's not – he's nothing else that we have seen. It's a, it's a total – there's no other coach to compare him to. You know, with, with the time that he spent there, the wins, you know, what they've accomplished, you know, what they haven't accomplished – you throw all that together and it's, it's, a, it's a singular entity and you know, he survived that. And he's, here's a, a guy who's a hothead. Who's been labeled an asshole pretty much his entire coaching career. And he just, he, he maintains and he changed, but he, at the same time, you know, he evolves, he changes. He's not afraid to try something different. And I can appreciate that. I want that in my president. I want my president strong convictions and be, who he is, but at the same time, not be so uh, obtuse that he's not able to to mix things up. You know, if something's not working, to be able to look at something and say, "Well, let's change this," and you don't know, go with this. It's a different era in college football, right? It's, this isn't 1988. It's not, not 1947. It's it's just a it, there's a it's a different era. You're not going to. It's hard to. It's if you want to compare Kelly to Air to Air Parsegian or or what I, it's your own fault because <laughs> you're, you're comparing two totally different things here. And, you know, if you can't see, see what is good there, that at least see some of the good there, then you might as well just stop watching. You can be critical all you want, 
And I have been very critical. I was one of the main voices calling for Kelly to be fired during and after the 2016 season. So this isn't, you know, someone who I've backed the whole time, you know, with unfailing support, but he's definitely someone who has gone through all this. And you look back at this, at this decade of his, and it's just a different era. And I can appreciate that. And so, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll vote for him. You guys want to add anything about Kelly? So while we're railing on it. Yes, I'd like to add one more thing. You can reach Josh at subwaydomer26 at gmail.com. Subwaydomer26 at gmail.com. Yeah, that's the, that's the second time. Trust me, that these people find my email. Did you, did you guys know, speaking of hate mail, I get hate mail from one particular person every six days. Is it me? And it's, it's been, no. He has an American flag after his name. <laughs> it's, it's gone on since like November. And it's about every six days. There was there was once where it was it went to five days and then it went to six. So I'm thinking of this person sitting at work or something, you know, and it's just like a reminder pops up on his computer. Like, oh, email Josh Foles, blows some shit. And he's I mean he's not a Notre Dame fan either. And this isn't like a fan dude. This is like a I don't know who he's a fan of. Uh, but he'll he'll mention a, a headline on the front page and blow me shit over it. Like, yeah, you know, I just, I, I think it's great. My wife finds it completely scary, but uh, <laughs> so yeah, go ahead. E- I don't care. Email me. Tell me how wrong I am. That's funny. I'm so glad to be a part of your to-do list. <laughs> yeah. You know that? Hey, I'm, I'm somebody. I made it. I am on somebody's hate mail list. I, uh, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that your wife thinks it's scary. She was actually my number one suspect for sending you hate mail on a, on a regular basis. So. I thought you know, I it... haven't ruled her. I haven't ruled her out yet completely. Could all be an act? Because I'm pretty sure if it was up to her, we wouldn't be doing. It. So, <laughs> so maybe maybe she thinks something's going on there. I don't know. So moving on from our President's Day celebration, um, and uh, we're gonna move around a little quickly here. But look, spring's coming up here soon enough. Uh, whether you want to admit it with ice in your driveways or not, or your family down. Enjoying 71 degree weather on the coast. Um, so we're, we're going to start looking at position groups on the podcast. I've started this, um, you know, Irish eyes on the future, breaking down the positions. Uh, I think I still have the cornerbacks to go. I think I've nailed all of them on the site so far. Um, but, you know, this is stuff we need to talk about because it's, it's creeping up on us uh, fairly soon. So today we're going to talk about the linebackers, which is probably one of the more interesting groups because we lost so much. You lose. Tavon Coney and you lose Drew Tranquil, which was going to be my hashtag, my president, only to further rub it into Jude uh, about uh, Tranquil being invited to the scouting combine, and he's probably getting drafted third round. We'll we'll make a bet on that, but but uh, so let's you know, let's talk about the linebackers, guys. You know, losing Coney, losing Tranquil, two huge losses. Um, uh, but Bilal is a part of that linebacker group. He's coming back. Um, and it looks like Bilal is going to be moving from his rover spot to the buck. Dude, uh, what are your thoughts on on who may be where, position battles? You know, what, what's your overall uh, thinking here on this group? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the one thing that we can say for certain is that Asmar Bilal will be on the field. Um, I think the conventional wisdom now or the, the, the rumblings from uh, the reporters who are – 
inside the Goog is that Asmar Bilal will be moving from rover to buck, as you mentioned. Uh, that might open up a spot for uh, Jordan Jenmark Heath. It might open up a spot for Shane Simon. Um, I doubt Jack Kaiser uh, is in the mix here, but he'll probably start at rover reportedly. Um, and then at buck, that may... Uh, that may be a sign that they don't like any of the people that they currently have uh, slotted at Buck. And I, I would guess that's Drew White, who we saw for one game during Navy. It's kind of the Greer Martini position, and then not at all. Um, and then Jeremiah Awusu koromoa So um, I think there's a real question about where Bilal plays, but I think he plays. And then, um, you know, figuring out if it's Jen Markeith or, or Simon. Um, it eclipses him and then uh also figuring out the mic position uh jonathan jones uh, hasn't really done much in uh his uh two years so uh well three years but um two that he's been on the field Correct. and uh, bo bowers there so is it going to be jones is it going to be bauer is it going to be completely different um i think we won't know a lot until until they start getting back on the field and they start fooling around with the multiple iterations during uh, spring practice. Yeah, Brad, what, I mean, do you think that, you know, how many different combos do you think we might be looking at during the spring? I mean, this seems like when Notre Dame, when, when Notre Dame brought in Mike Elko uh, with Clark Lee and <clears throat> this whole defensive system shifted to what it is now, it, they, they talked about, you know, the Rover was basically as a singular identity where you had the, the buck and the mic, and and then the rover, and then you had safeties. And now, after you know the departure of Elko and with Lee, it seems more and more that the rover is being really more or less just included as a linebacker. Kelly said as much as far as recruiting goes, where they're not recruiting rovers anymore; they're recruiting safeties. That as a safety, that maybe they grow into a, a linebacker. They don't know, but they're they're recruiting linebackers and safety. They're not specifically recruiting Rover, which they seem to have like overloaded on. You know, mm -hmm. I think both, you know, Shane Simon, uh, Jordan Gidmar Keith, Jeremiah Wosukoromoa, these are all guys that that primarily and, you know, I guess in a way even Asmar Bilal, even though this is all that, but these are all like Rover guys. Um so now they're now that they have to 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 really like these are linebackers. What kind of I mean, do you think like you know, with, with us looking for a, a a real Mike, you know, is Jonathan Jones or Bo Bauer? Do you think they could be the answer? Do you think they could possibly move a guy like Genmar Keith? I mean, it would add, you know, considerably more speed, I believe, you know, to the position. You know, would that make much of a difference? You know, having like Genmar Keith and and uh, Bilal and like Shane Simon all out there um, at the same time. You think it's just going to come down to a situational, you know, kind of. Um, kind of a thing where, you know, there's seven guys in and out um, based off of that alone, or how do you think this shakes out? It really seems confusing it, right it now. Really, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we don't, we don't have enough historical like insight into what this, what Clark Lee has done with his groups to be able to pick out these names from a list of guys we've never seen before and say, this is going to be the guy, right? This is going to be the combination that gives us all that speed from, you know, from, uh, 
from one end of the field to the other that is going to be perfect for what this Notre Dame defense wants to do. And they face enough different kinds of offenses that I think it'll be really interesting to see what sort of combinations they come up with, what guys see the field. Um, also to speak to what Jude was saying a little bit, like we, it'll be really interesting just thinking about how Clark Lee handled the group last year where they had experience with Tavon Coney and they had experience with Drew Tranquil and they threw Esmer Bilal out there and he filled in really great. You know, he ended up being really, really good. And now you look at this group this year, the experience you have is Bilal. So they're going to lean on him a lot, regardless of where he plays. And the game will be to see who fills in those other positions and who takes advantage of their opportunities. And as far as who's that's going to be, I think we'll see a really big combination early on. All of these names we mentioned before, Drew White, Jen Markeith, I think he's got a great opportunity, Bo Bauer, Shane Simon. Um, you know, we haven't seen a whole lot of these guys. We don't know. Right. And how – and I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick with you here for Brad. There, sure. There's a big loss at defensive – you know, with, with both Bonner and Tillery, you know, now gone. You yep. can say what you will about Bonner, but he held the point of attack very well. Um, you know, taking on blockers, allowed our linebackers to move freely. A guy like Tranquil, to you know, who was an attacking presence out there, to play, you know, to play with that freedom and and you know, to to be aggressive in the way he played. You know, now those guys are gone, but you know, they're still sitting there with you know Kurt Heinish and and with um, uh, you know MTA mm-hmm. and now a host of you know younger guys behind that. Really, so there's a lot of inexperience. Do you think? Do you, do you think that's going to have a, a huge impact on on what they do um, as far as personnel wise on on the linebacker level, or, or do you think that's just it's just kind of going to be what it is? <laughs> I mean, I think honestly, the the coaching staff themselves won't even figure it out until we're four games into the season. And these are the sort of things, the questions that you really can't answer going against the ones and twos in, in practice during the spring and and then during the summer. It's it's a uh, it, it, I think it'll really test Ryan Kelly and his staff. And I think Clark Lee especially, this is you know his first go as a defensive coordinator, and he's going to have to lean on his, his position guys, and he's going to have to figure out what's going on and, and analyze who does best at, at their job and, and figure out what combinations work. And I think a lot of, you know with the tough schedule, a lot of early season success will probably hinge upon how quickly they figure out what sort of combinations you can have out there, whether it be, you know, which ends you put in with which tackles and, and what linebacker group you go with and, and what defense you end up calling. I, I just think it's, it'd be tough for me to answer. I'm not watching these guys condition and I'm not watching them practice right now. So, you know, yeah, I like, I like some of the talent and the names that they have coming back, but they're largely unproven. So it'll be really, really interesting to see what happens. I, just, well, to, just to jump, jump on, on this point here to, to answer your question. I think the fact that they're they're talking about moving Ovi Ogufu to from this linebacker core to a defensive end suggests that that the defensive end, whatever they do with the defensive ends and the defensive tackles, has less to do with what the ultimately ultimately the linebacker core will shake out. I mean, they they've got eleven, uh, twelve if you count Ogufu, eleven if you don't count him, individuals that they can look at for three positions. That should be plenty. Um, and, and, and again, going back to what Brad said, you know, Asmar Bilal is the one that is the returning starter. Uh, he's got 10 returning starts. Jordan Jedmark Heath has one returning start. 
those 11 combined returning starts, according to Tim O'Malley of Irish Illustrated, marks the lowest returning total of the 10-season Brian Kelly era. So nobody's position is – For linebackers or a position group? For, for linebackers as, as a position um, – for the line for the linebackers for just for line okay okay right so nobody it not nothing is etched in stone and everything is wide open um and that's why i go back to my original point i think you know it's Bilal. Bilal has a, a position on the field um and 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 if it's buck it's buck but um you know the other uh, the other ones are are wide open and it's going to be uh we're going to see who really steps up and you know if it was, as long as you're not coming back from injury, I, I think you've got as good of a shot as anybody else. So um, right. I, this whole thing is insane to me because I, I also read Eric Hansen's piece today on, on, on Niles Morgan, and he threw a little tidbit in there that just kind of blew my mind. He said, of the 22 prospects recruited to play linebacker at Notre Dame between the 2011 and 2018 cycles, only five have started at least four career games at linebacker or over. And so you think about the guys that, you know, were were linebacker or rover in the previous incarnations. You had uh, Drew Tranquil, who came from safety. You have James Onawalu, who was a corner, uh, who was a wide receiver. Uh, you have uh, a Joe Schmidt, who was a walk-on. Um, so you can kind of see where, and again, they went through a scheme change here when, when they went from a 3-4 to a 4-3, and their, their priorities shifted a little bit. But um, I just, they have a ton of people here and uh, a ton of opportunity for people uh, and no one's really established themselves besides Asmar Bilal. And speaking of opportunity, I mean, because I mean, there, there's names we haven't mentioned yet. Freshman. And then there's a, a, you know, another sophomore like Jack Lamb um, and even, you know, Drew White. Um, you talk to me a little bit. What do you, what do you think? What do you think these guys are, you know, are, are we going to, do you think there's a possibility for them to show out, you know, enough? I mean, is there, and we're talking like, you know, there's four freshmen possibly. Now this spring, you're not going to see, I think, did Kaiser enroll early? Uh, Jack Kaiser? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's funny. I Well, we'll just, we'll disregard it for right now. But I mean, just for the, there's a lot of young names here and you got guy like, J.D. Bertrand, Maris Lufau, C.D. Equinix, Jack Kaiser, and then are your freshmen. I mean, Notre Dame is just like almost over-recruited linebackers here. And then you have Jack Lamb as a sophomore who's coming back from an injury. And there's just there's a lot of names there. Like I said, Drew White's another name um, who basically everyone's just tabbing as the next Greer Martini, um, and for good reason. I mean – do you, I guess, do you anticipate a season where they think they have it and then they got to do a massive shift um, because they, there's a game that shows they didn't have it? Do you, do you think it's, do you think we're looking at things playing out that way? Certainly to Brad's point, there's, there's a, re, there's a real early test with Georgia, right? I mean, they're going right. to, if they don't have it under control, then I could definitely see uh, a switch up. I'm thinking, you know, this wasn't the linebacker core. This was the 2014 uh, offensive line. But, you know, before coming into, I think it was a bye week or playing before they played Syracuse, they they really, they switched all almost all the positions and they weren't afraid to do so. And and, and I honestly don't think Brian Kelly would be afraid to do it again if it wasn't working. Um, but, you right. know, they, go ahead. 
I'm just I, I agree with you there, but I, I wanted to I wanted to ask you too. You know, I had brought up the defensive tackles. You know, the great thing about football is that it is just the you know ultimate team sport. You know, there's 11 people out there all having to work together, and I had brought up the defensive tackles because that matters a lot to linebackers. You know what's in front of them, but also you know what's behind them. And Notre Dame, you know, is blessed to return three starters. You know, out of the core secondary. Um, with Julian Love moving on, but two safeties when the safety position last year was question mark kind of going in and then became just this awesome blessing, you know, with both Jalen Elliott and Alohi Gilman, you know, playing great football. How much does the safety play, which which we know provides a lot of run support, how much does that safety play provide like a you know a, a cushion, you know, a safety net, you know, if you will, uh, for these linebackers in the running game. But do you, you also do you find this see that that might be a liability um, more so than you know than a blessing? You look back at the Clemson game and looked and look how we uh, we kind of got burned down the seam a little bit. Um, how do you think with the, with the safeties involved there? How do you see that shaking out? Do you, th- you think they're that you know Gilman and Elliott are going to be able to back these guys up enough? Do you think they're even going to have to? Um, how how do you see that working? You, me, Brad, and everybody else probably listening to this podcast is a survivor of the Brian Van Gorder era, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. We learned one thing from the Brian Van Gorder era, it's that, that guys can't play fast if they don't know what the other guys in the field are doing. Um, so I would say it's, it's, it's huge um, that the linebackers need to feel co- confident that the safeties are, are correct in their assignments. Uh, to feel like they can attack the line of scrimmage if they need to, or um, you know, take a take a, a running back that's coming out of the backfield to a, you know, as a wide out or whatever, and understand where where they're going. Um, you know, look, replacing all these people, replacing Drew Crankle is not. I'm you know, just because I don't think the guy's going to get drafted <laughs> doesn't mean I don't think his loss isn't tremendous. It is, and 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 ditto for Tavon Coney. Um, and these are two, uh, major losses and, and the linebackers are like the quarterbacks of the defense. So, um, I, I, you know, I, I hope that they get, get it figured out and get it figured out quick. And then this becomes the new normal. Um, but if they don't, we're going to know right away and it's going to be a very long day in Athens. So, so to summarize, we have no earthly idea what's going to go down, uh, at linebacker. We're just, it's, we're all in wait and see, wait and see mode. I mean, honestly, right guys. I mean, we, we, we're going to have to see what goes on in spring practice, goes on a fall camp and, you know, it's going to take Louis, against Louisville kind of to get comfortable with what's, what's happening. That's a pretty fair statement, right? Like yeah, we don't, I mean, we don't, be, we don't believe everything's going to get shook out in spring, right? Right. And I mean, I challenge anyone out there to come up with a better assessment of the situation with any insight we might not have. Like the, this is as close as you can get at this point. What what does everyone else think? Oh, I saw all over the map. I mean, <laughs> I was just going to make the same exact point, Brad. I mean, outside of the Goog, uh, you know, inside the Goog, I, I imagine that they have uh, a lot of film that they're looking at, and and they have a pretty good sense of where at least they want to start in the summer, in the spring. Um, but you know, outside of that, I, I think we're all just we're all just taking educated guesses and. And, and frankly, it, it's a it's a little scary because of of the lack of returning production. But 
Um, you know, I can't wait to read the breathless uh, spring reports about, uh, you know, Shane Simon uh, blowing guys up or whatever, you know? I hope not, because that would be the ultimate curse right there. <laughs> I hate spring ball more than probably anybody. <laughs> and, like, I think for a couple of years, I, like, almost banned it from writing about too much spring, you know? Yeah. But uh, I, it is what it is. Everybody wants to know something. But if you're hearing a whole lot about somebody in spring, that's not a good sign. Good or bad. It's not a good sign. So, all right. Well, you know, I, I think that's a good position group to start with because I think that's probably one of our most, the most mysterious, uh, if, you, if you know, if you will. Um, that Notre Dame has, you know, that is fielding. Maybe punter, but at least we know exactly who the punter is going to be. Um, but, you know, there's so much to replace there. and there's, there's just so many questions and so many different moving parts. And it's it's hard. To, you're right. It's a, you you're not gonna be able to get a grip on all of it. You're just kind of you know you're looking at it from a ten thousand foot view, and it's gonna take a while for you to get down to see things uh, close and how they fit. So all right, well we're gonna move on here tonight. We're gonna we're gonna end our podcast like we always do with a with a round of questions, and we're gonna go uh, Jude, Brad, and then I'll finish it off with my question uh, last. Uh, each person gets the answer and whatever goes. So, so Jude, go ahead and uh, start us off here. Uh, one of the things discussed on our site this week and, and occasionally mentioned, uh, although it's been a, been a while, is um, the quote-unquote off-the-field issues uh, of Jerry Tillery. Uh, I just want to quickly recap them as I, as I understand them. Um, he was sent home from the Fiesta Bowl in uh, 2015 before the Fiesta Bowl for a vi- unspecified violation of team rules. And in 2016, um, in, a, in a peak of a very frustrating season, uh, he made two really regrettable decisions uh, during the USC game, uh, one in which he uh, stepped on a player's head, if I recall correctly, or kicked a player in the head. Um, and uh, it basically, um, those those have kind of, uh, been dissipated by his tremendous play and his, um, you know, talk of his character and his worldliness and his interest in becoming a doctor and and seeing uh, China, you know, going to China and and all these new experiences. Uh, but I wanted to ask you about um, if you think these are legitimate things that NFL uh, GMs are worried about, and if so, do you think that is a bigger concern or less of a concern? than Drew Tranquil having uh, ACL tears in both knees. Ooh. Interesting. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take this first. Since I, I'm fairly familiar with, uh, with it since I wrote the, art, the latest article on Tillery. Um, I think it, it should be less of a concern than, uh, than Tranquil's knees, um, which I think is – you know, not to derail the subject a little bit, but I mean, Tranquil's been fairly healthy since then, uh, with just a broken hand. Uh, you know, and he was a ro- it was a robot in his recovery. So I don't. Maybe if he was a safety his entire and go to the NFL, but that's neither here nor there. But yeah, I'd be more concerned, I think, with that than with Tillery. I just I find that in this day and age, and I, I've been trying to stay away from political tone of it all, but we're talking about the NFL now and, and what we had just witnessed in that league with Kaepernick and, the, and the, that whole deal. And 
I think with a guy like Tillery, anybody that comes across as someone who has interests outside of football is a threat to owners. I mean, not to get too too bleak about it, but these owners for they want their football players, their employees to be all about all you know, all or die football players. They're not too interested in what they do off the they don't care if they're well-rounded individuals. Now they like charity work and they like, you know, keeping their names out of police blotters. And that's about it. Other than that, they're not really too concerned about what these guys plan on doing afterwards. I think you're seeing that a lot with the whole CTE thing and however you want to think of it and whichever way you think, there's no denying that, that the trend and the patterns are there from owners throughout the, throughout the years about what, what they like to see out of these guys. So with Tillery, it's easy, right? You can say character issues or off the field issues. And normally when you're talking about football players and the drafts coming up and those things get mentioned, you're talking about drugs or guns or someone hit, hit their girlfriend or something of that nature, right? Like, like their, their stepdad's going to post a picture of them, you know, snorting a line of Columbia's finest like that. I mean, that, that's more or less what normally it is. But in Tillery's case, they're talking, they're, they're using that and they're, you know, they're kind of pointing towards, you know, like you said, he was sent home for the Fiesta Bowl. And I, I still never knew what, what that was about, whatever it was. He was still on the team. And I think at a place like Notre Dame, they've been pretty strict about what goes on. And there's no real reprimand afterwards. Uh, the USC incident, Again, that was something that was handled internally. It was regrettable for sure. And it was, you know, it was a heated moment. And the end of the season, you're getting your butt kicked on the road. Um, you know, it, it was not a good, <laughs> it was definitely not a good look. It was definitely something that, that, uh, that looked very poorly upon Tillery. But like I said, it's a heat of the moment thing on the football field. There's been plenty of football players that have done something similar that don't get their character questioned. And then he had a late hit against Trevor Lawrence in the Clemson game. And again, I point to many players have lost their cool on the football field. And and this isn't like a fight. This isn't like blowing up on a coach like Ed Oliver on the sideline. These are just, you know, losing a little bit of emotion on the the field. It's a negative, yeah, for sure. But it's not like... This is the all. This is what you need to be focusing on for the draft. What I feel is that it's his political. He is a, a political minded person. He's very aware about what's going on. Um, he gives that interview with Rome about you know watching C-SPAN as a child. If you watch the 2015, uh, uh, I guess it was uh, on Showtime. Um, you know he's he's wearing. I won't. He was wearing a presidential candidate's T-shirt uh, during some of that. And, you know, this is the kind of stuff that's, that interests him. Uh, so I think that, by, I mean, that definitely worries people because of what's going on here. That could become a very big household name um, because he has that kind of ability. He's one of the best pass-rushing defensive tackles in this draft. You know, eight sacks. He's, he's a good football player. He's going to get drafted. But you're going to drive this, his stock down a little bit and kind of, it's almost like nudging him to let him know his place, if you will, 
um, with these kind of remarks. So I, I, I think an injury should be two knee injuries should be more worrisome than what has gone on with Tillery. But in the climate that we see in the NFL, the political world that we live in, I think having a, having a voice and having an opinion about it is very scary to a lot of owners. Brad? Yeah, I would absolutely agree. I mean, from a business perspective, that's something that you have to be able to manage. And um, whether or not you like it, like to hear it that way, I think that's the truth. I mean, you mentioned, Josh mentioned the PR aspect of things and being scared of his voice from a political aspect and, and also maybe a little bit of uh, unpredictableness. Um, if you're drafting this person, you have to have faith in your own organization that you can manage that. And I think that's, I think the level of risk involved there will be, you know, a sort of organization to organization. Um, it, it'll be different. The perspectives of different organizations will be different. And um, yeah, I think that's, that's more of a dynamic concern. That's more of a, you know, how aware of the current social landscape are you? Like, how how well are you with managing not only what your players say, but, and I'm, I'm trying to remember the term, there's a term for a style of management that was popularized by Joe Torre and the Yankees when they were on a run in the playoffs, and instead of pushing his guys, he brought in therapists. And he said, you know, we're going to we're going to focus on mental health. And and maybe that's something that if you if your organization can bring in anger management therapists and counselors and focus on the human side of things, maybe you're more off. You're more uh, ready to handle this sort of situation where, you know, these are these are young guys. They're they, they have emotions. They they display their emotions. They express themselves. How well can you handle that, but also make them really good football players? And how does it make your organization look? If you're more apt to handle that, then I don't think Jerry Tillery or someone like Jerry Tillery is a huge risk for you to go ahead and draft because, like you said, he's a great football player. He's a great pass rusher, and he will be a great, uh, a, a great, great, great player for your team. On the other hand, you look at injuries, and I mean, same thing. Look at your own. Look at the the uh, quality of healthcare that your team doctors provide. Can you keep this guy healthy? Do you think he's going to stay healthy even with the best? I mean, it's 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 a balance, and I think it's organization to organization. And I think when the way we're looking at it in 2019, if your organization doesn't, ha- if you don't have confidence in your organization to be able to handle these problems that are new and are different, and you have to be progressive to handle, then yeah, don't draft either of the guys. Draft the Alabama product who's never been injured and has never said a word because Nick Saban wouldn't let him. Fine. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. So I guess the, the, the thing I would say is I, I think the Tillery political stuff is going to be one question in the, in the meetings with GMs. I, I, I think t- Tillery should be very prepared um, to address how he believes he's going to uh, handle his political viewpoints and his outspokenness on those political viewpoints. Do you think you- I'm not cutting you off, but do you think he would be better in those meetings to not necessarily blow it off, but to really make light of of that? Do you, I mean, do you think he needs? Do you think he needs to? Do you think he will? You, you know, I mean, I guess. I, I mean, I, I look. I if Jerry Tillery wants to speak his mind, far be it for me to tell him not to. I, I sure. think. I think that probably the safest play for him to be would be to say, you know, look. 
I, you know, obviously I've, I have fully formed opinions. I, I, I do study this, um, you know, pretty closely and I, and I follow it pretty closely. Um, but I want to let you know that I'm here to play football. And as a rookie, I know that it's not important what a rookie says. It's important what a rookie does. And, uh, my, my focus will be primarily on, on my performance, uh, not on any, on any giving my uh, political opinion to uh, any reporter who asks. That's how I would handle it, you know, Excellent. and then with Tranquil, it's not just the knees too. It's the broken hand. It's the, he was suffering through an ankle injury last year. Um, I just, I, I, I admire the, the hell out of the guy for being some sort of freak robot and having some sort of magic elixir for healing himself. But uh, it's just, there's too many injuries, too many injuries. So it's that fine, fine water in Wayne, which is rated one of the best small cities or best cities in America. <laughs> yeah. Brad, uh, what, what's, uh, what question you got for us? Right, I'm going to lighten it up a little bit here. Thank so, you. Uh, <laughs> so for anybody hanging around, we are going to laugh a little bit. Um, so I don't know if you guys noticed, but uh, I think it was last week, one foot down rider, Matt Green dropped a little tidbit into our Slack channel that um, Ken Jang had been on a YouTube uh, series called Hot Ones. And he had an opportunity to talk about the uh, documentary that he directed about Reggie Ho. And so if you don't know Hot Ones, it's a YouTube video where um, a interviewer brings on celebrities and then asks them very good questions while he makes them eat progressively spicier food, spicier wings. And it was really entertaining to watch Ken Jang talk about this, um, talk about his documentary while he was dying from eating hot food. But I thought in honor of that, I really like spicy food. I really like the show. So I, I would kind of wanted to bring that question into our podcast tonight. So I wanted to ask you guys, what is the spiciest food you've ever eaten? And how does it compare to the spiciest take you've ever heard about Notre Dame from a journalist? Oh, man. I wish we would have done pregame notes on this. Yeah, I'm blindsided. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I'm blindsided. Um, I am not a, uh, a spicy. Um, I, ha I get really bad heartburn. <laughs> like, uh, like killer. Like I'm having a heart attack heartburn. Um, but uh, – you know, in college, I, I, you know, somebody brings home peppers from their parents' farm or whatnot. They're like laying on a paper towel in the kitchen and you live in a fraternity house. You, you pay the consequences. So, uh, whatever pepper it was that, uh, that was laying on that, that paper towel that day in the kitchen. Um, I, I know there's all sorts of names. I'm not a big connoisseur of them because I try to, I run, uh, from heat. Um, Whatever that was, I, I thought I was going to literally die. It was like the sing from, from Dumb and Dumber. Um, uh, you know, I'm like scrambling around the house looking for Rolaids, down to water, anything I could do. And as everybody's just like chomping them like they're popcorn and I'm dying. Um, so whatever that pepper was, I, I, it was the hottest thing I've ever had in my life. It was ridiculous. Um, the spiciest take for Notre Dame football. Ah, uh, God, there's there's been so many. I guess it's it's hard to find the the spiciest, I suppose. Um, but I guess I, I guess it's for it's just the general. It's a general take when Notre Dame has a season like they have, and people will simultaneously say 
that we don't deserve to be playoffs and we're not that good because we're not in a and that if we want to get better, we need to join a conference. And then you start listing off the schedule with all these Power 5 schools that, that are in conferences. I can't find the fucking difference. You know, schedule for schedule, Power 5 team for Power 5 team. And I, I say it's the spiciest because it's the one that gets under my skin the most. Because it's the most insane, um, you know, take. Like, I understand the conference championship game. And I think, you know, I honestly think that people have some legitimate beef with that in a way. Um, it, but, you know, we've seen non-conference champions. Um, but, I, but I believe, you know, if you, a 12-0 season for any of those conference um, teams would result in them having to play in a conference championship game. You know, for, for like Clemson, playing Pitt wasn't anything but more than an, an extra practice. Uh, so, you know, there's not really much to it. But for like Alabama having to play Georgia, um, you know, that was a tough, tough one. Yeah, I, I think we still feel that if they would have lost that game, Bama would have been in the playoffs anyway. So it, really, what does it all matter? Um, it's not like Notre Dame is lining up their schedule, you know, back-to-back MAC schools or a, a FC, FCS school. You know, they're not, these are all power five conference teams. And just because, you know, Florida State took a shit this year, you know, there was a, I can't remember what podcast I was listening to. It's a newer Notre Dame one. Um, but, and just listen to the first half of it, maybe. But they were talking about coming up with their own new metric about schedule of intent. And, you know, you look at some of this, and it really, before the season started, we're looking at the schedule like, this is going to be rough. And it doesn't quite work out that way. But to use that and say that that we're we're we suck, we would be we would have a worse record if we were in a conference. But if we want to win a championship, we have to be in a conference. We should be in a conference. It, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, absolutely. As, as does people that eat peppers. Why? Right. Why are you it, trying to kill? I don't understand. Yeah. yeah, it's low effort. They didn't even check to see what kind of peppers they were first. They just ate exactly. them up like popcorn. And all you and all you're doing is like dying. You're sweating. I, what what good is that pepper doing you? Mm-hmm. I, I don't understand people that seek like this atomic heat for their mouths. Jude, what do you got? So I am with Josh. I uh, my wife, if she listened to this podcast, would be pretty much laughing at me right now because every time <laughs> makes, every time she makes chili, I complain about how spicy it is. Um, I, I pretty much can't advance past like the Asian zing level at the Buffalo Wild Wings, uh, before I start complaining about the, the, my mouth being on fire. So, um, I'm also a weakling when it comes to spice. Um, the spiciest take I remember hearing for Notre Dame was, uh, Rick Riley's August, 2012 column called demoting Notre Dame. And he basically, oh, argued God, how did I forget that? the year before they went on to go to the national championship game uh, that they should be relegated like they do in soccer to a lower division um, that they were, uh, you know, irrelevant um, and that they should not have a television deal with NBC um, that they should not have a seat at the, at the table for the BCS um, that it should, they should not be allowed to be in the preseason AP polls or have any preseason all America uh, nominees um and it was great it was it was absolutely great um 
one of the Matt Browns, I don't remember if it's the one that wrote for that writes for SB Nation or the one that writes for The Athletic, uh, also wrote a very similar column that I was trying to find while you guys were talking. Uh, you know, the old uh, Notre Dame is, is a relevant trope. Um, and, and that one was a lot of fun, too. But uh, it was probably my boss. The banner waiver of uh, uh, four and eight. Don't forget the Notre Dame went four and eight, or don't let them distract you from the fact that Notre Dame went four and eight. So, um, so the Riley one it, it still exists on the internet, and uh, I definitely think everyone should get it, give it a read at least once a year for the greatest laugh uh, they could possibly have. I actually have it open right now. It was going to be my answer, but I'll I'll shift a little bit. So the spiciest food I've ever had was uh, it was at a bar here in Chicago called Racing Plumbing. It was during the 2013 Pitt game uh, in which Notre Dame took a big lead. Then Stefan Tuitt got kicked out for targeting the quarterback when the quarterback lowered his head. It was very frustrating. It was, it was tough to watch. And I ordered a uh, sandwich called the Pipe Cleaner, which had some sort of, <laughs> yes, exactly, had some sort of jalapeno sauce, which I like spicy food. I like jalapenos. I will eat a jalapeno. But um, for whatever reason, the sandwich, it was... The sandwich and the frustration of the game, I was, I was sweating. I was trying to take my shirt off. I was just dying. I was just dying. And I was going to say initially that that was like Rick Riley's pose because he put a lot of effort into it. It came out as like this you know, succinct article that cleaned us all out. But I think I'm going to shift that, and I'm going to say the spiciest take I've ever seen about Notre Dame football is a simple shit post from the college football subreddit, which is just a spectacularly weird place from uh, the offseason two years ago, which was one line. Why doesn't Notre Dame join the Big 12? That was it. That's all they said. (laughs) And they misspelled, it was N-O-T-E-R, Notre Dame. That's where the meme comes from. And the conversation that it generated, everything from Notre Dame, people making fun of the fig thing, Irish cups, to actual conversations as to why Notre Dame would never fit in the Big 12, was just amazing. And, and I mean, one of my favorite comments was like, because Notre Dame's already planning on starting a conference with Alabama, Texas, OU, Ohio State, Michigan, USC, the Patriots, Chelsea, and the Yankees. <laughs> and then the response was, we're not talking about Notre Dame. We're talking about N-O-T-E-R, Dame. <laughs> and I just, it was, everybody was having fun that day. Nobody knew what to do with themselves. It was the spiciest of spices. It really cleaned us all out. The pipe cleaner, if you will. <laughs> the pipe cleaners. Uh, well, all I, right. The other one, just real quick, that I remember just making me insane was Bleacher Reports' Matt Miller reporting that Jalen Smith would be ready to play the first game of the season in which he was drafted. And I don't think there was any single person besides Jalen Smith's agent who honestly believed that. and Or at least was saying it. Yeah. Like Matt, with- Matt Miller was peddling that like it was the truth and it was making me insane because i had actually talked to doctors about uh about the extent of that injury and and with the recovery period and they were saying there was absolutely no way that he was going to be ready um and and again i'm not a medical professional i just i just happen to consult with you know one or two and uh you know matt miller saying that was 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 completely disingenuous and um i remember you know, I, I look. I, I'm a huge Jalen Smith fan. I w- I would have loved for him to be ready, but he had a he had a, a tremendously serious injury in, in that. Um, and for Matt Miller to 
to stand his ground on that for 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 far too long was um was abhorrent in my in my belief so mm -hmm. all right well we'll get to uh to the final question here for me and i guess this kind of ties in with spice a little bit but like wing places i find to be absolutely repugnant i i cannot stand p-dubs i i was a huge hater of hooters uh, for many years i i just i can't stand wing joints uh whether it's the limited menu or the people that go there sorry i don't really hate you except for maybe if you're there um but then again i'm not a big fan of sports bars either i don't like watching games um with a bunch of people because i feel like i will get into a fight physically um with idiots uh but anyways but wing places wings what are the big shifts in american cuisine has been from the wing to the boneless wing are you guys and there's a there's a second part to this but this first part here are you guys when you're getting wings are you asking for boneless are you asking for a glorified chicken nugget uh no i'm not i'm not asking for boneless but if boneless is served i i'm not i'm not uh turning up my nose at it uh um, so if boneless I, is sitting on the table you'll eat but you're not going to order boneless correct no I, I mean i look i i think we all know what wings are supposed to be like um and if the choice is between bone in or boneless i'm, I'm going bone in um you know, I just I, I I tend to think the quality of the meat is uh, better with the bone-in product. Um, so, I yeah, I'll eat a I'll eat a bonus wing, and I'll probably get pilloried for saying this, but I think Pizza Hut actually has a pretty decent boneless wing. Uh, but you know, yeah, but bone-in all the way if given the choice. Boys, boys, boys. Look, I, I'm with Jude on this one. There's there's probably a base level of quality of meat that I would accept, but I don't think the question is bone-in versus boneless. I think you can get a pretty good quality of meat, whether it's, you know, engineered with the boneless or, or authentic with the, with the bone wings. But I think the, better, the bigger question is, is sauce, rub, heat, stuff like that. So, you know, you give me one or the other, I, I don't really care as long as the meat is a baseline quality. But, but I'm, I'm more concerned with what, what sauce you're putting on, how hot is it? Or are you doing a dry rub and, and how good is that going to be? Um, but that said, if I'm ordering for myself, I go with, I go with the uh, traditional wings. Um, typically, they'll, they'll be a little smaller, but the, the quality of meat will be better. Well, hallelujah to you two gentlemen, because boneless wings are nothing but chicken McNuggets, and they should be banned from American life. Just my hot take there. And uh, yeah, you're right, though. Pizza Hut does have a very good, like a garlic parmesan. <laughs> a wing, um, so or I, I think that's what the the flavor is, but it is excellent actually. So yeah, boneless wings are just ridiculous. Speaking of boneless, a uh, very hot show on the History Channel, Vikings uh, displays Ivar the boneless in like the most reckless and unauthentic manner possible. But Ivar the boneless was a real life Viking leader. Um, back in the day and, and, uh, had no use of his legs. Um, but you know, you think of boneless, you think of spineless. So my question to you is who is the most spineless opposing head coach 
Notre Dame will face this season? David Shaw. <laughs> that was so quick. Yeah, it's just straight before, I, before I'm able to say it. Is there any other answer? No, there's not. <laughs> I just I'm I'm losing it. I swear I heard like, it. like you're buzzing in like this is this is Jeopardy, you know, just like oh, what is David Shaw? David Shaw. <laughs> uh. No, that's it. That is that your answer too, Brad? Uh, I mean, so yeah, yeah. I mean, you can look at look at the Notre Dame schedule there, and I, I mean. Get, I mean, you're gonna ha- you're gonna have to spot me who the head coach of Bowling Green is. I honestly don't. Know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. All we know is that Van Gorder's a DC. Uh, I wouldn't call Van Gorder spineless. He's just a bad coach. It's he gotta be DC. He's a linebackers coach. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, it's gotta be Shaw. Yeah. It's gotta be right. Yeah. I, I, is it? Can we make a case though for Kirby Smart? I mean, you think about think about how he acted after. Their lost Alabama. I mean, is, are you saying going for it on fourth and fifteen was a spineless move? Because it was a dumb move, but I'm not sure it was a spineless move. Well, it proves that you don't have a brain, and you know there is a <laughs> you said spine spineless, connect, not brainless. The spine does connect there uh, at some point, so maybe maybe using a fake punt at fourth and fifteen, uh, a lack of a spine there. I mean, what what about Clay? I mean, anybody got any dibs on Clay Helton? I, I don't think we. There's definitely. I don't think for Harbaugh, can we? I mean, you can say many things about Jimmy, but I don't think you can call Harbaugh spineless, right? Yeah, he, he strikes me more of just dumb, rather than <laughs> I don't know, spineless. No. He strikes me more as beatable than anything else. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, I think we. I think we have our answer. I think we. David Shaw, without question, being the most spineless coach. But I mean, you could, I, I guess I'll play a little devil's advocate. You go back to the Rose Bowl versus, was it Michigan State or Wisconsin? When he just kept trying to run it up the middle. Yeah, it was Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah. It, maybe that takes, it takes a spine. But again, I just think if you take your spine away, you're taking some of your brain away. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Shaw. He's a whiny, whiny pun. All right. Well, that was another lengthy podcast to put down, and we're just going to wrap it up. And I just want to ask all y'all, if you're listening to this podcast, please send us some feedback. We're we're just getting this thing going. We're trying to do this weekly. Um, we're, we got a weird schedule, so it's a lot of a, a lot of it's just us throwing stuff up. Like, can you do it at this time? And we're, we're trying to get some stuff out to you. We'd love to hear some feedback from you. If you can, go on iTunes or whatnot, Apple Podcast, which is, according to Jude, is trash. But rate and review, please. Um, and, you know, we'll, we will bend to your will somewhat uh, and, and try to give you the, the content that you're looking for. Um, I don't apologize for when we talk about hockey um, and probably women's lacrosse at some point because we have things we need to talk about. But uh, We'd love to get your feedback uh, and, you know, follow us all day long on onefootdown.com. We're putting up, you know, a bunch of stories for you guys to read. Twitter, one foot down, at one foot down. Uh, and then all of us, our individual, um, you know, you can find us there. So thanks again for listening to us and uh, go Irish.
Marsh.